text of emphasis is found in the book of beginnings. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And it says there this. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the, f- the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Oh God, as we uh, consider these words, we pray for uh, understanding for what you have for us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're preparing here at the Church of the Advent Hope for the Easter season, that time when we remember the death, the rest, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we'll be rehearsing that story uh, over the weeks to come, and specifically on uh, Easter weekend. And Kyle's going to tell you a little bit more about all that's to come with that uh, during our community life time later in the service. But As we prepare for Easter, it's appropriate that we think about the implications of what happened uh, during Easter and specifically what happened uh, when Jesus died and why Jesus had to die. And so um, in starting this discussion, I just want to remind you that uh, people over the the centuries have uh, wrestled with the implications of that question that seems maybe somewhat uh, simple for those of us who have been Uh, believers in Jesus for some time, but it has a complexity to it that has challenged people who have thought about it. And so there have been many responses to the question, why did Jesus have to die? Some say that he died so he could influence humanity toward uh, morality. Or he died to maintain justice by punishing sin and vindicating God's character. Uh, He died to pay a ransom to release those who were in the bondage in bondage because of sin, or he died to uh, make God the victor over the powers of, of evil, or he died to satisfy the demands of justice that uh, God had so that he can forgive sin. Those are just a few of the responses to the question, why did Jesus have to die? Now, I'd suggest to you that there are truth, there is truth in all of these models, and Again, there are many, many more that uh, thoughtful people have come up with. But for us to really kind of contemplate this issue, what are the implications of, of what happened at Easter, what happened when uh, Jesus died, it, uh, it might be helpful for us to go back to the, the very beginning. And so without being ironic, you know, when someone says, you know, they're going to explain things and they go back to the beginning of the story, that always makes you nervous because you're going to be like, how long is this going to last? I, I should let you know that I have 17% on my iPad, so let's hope, let's hope it lasts. I don't know what happened. It didn't charge well last night, apparently. So 17%, here we go. <laughs> Why did Jesus have to die? We have to do that in 17%. So we are going back to the, uh, the beginning, as our text of emphasis indicated, Genesis chapter uh, 1, and we see... In Genesis chapter 1, before what we just read, the story of God uh, making the world. It says that he took a a chunk of rock uh, moving in space and he did his uh, creative work with that. Like an artist who takes a a, a stone and shapes it. The the earth was 
uh, was void and formless. And he creates from that. Um, out, of, out, of, out of his own word, he creates uh, vegetation. And he creates all the elements that are needed for life to exist on the world. And then he goes about creating uh, living creatures, the fish and the, the birds and the animals that move across the, the earth. And then we get to the end of the creative story and, and we get this picture again of God as an artist who uh, gets down on his, his knees in the, in the clay, literally the clay of the, the, the fresh earth. And he, he forms an image, an image of a, of a human. And the Bible tells us that this is actually uh, him, his image. Let us make mankind, humankind, in our image. God says to himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so God created humankind in his image. And so we get this picture again of, of God down in the, in the clay uh, like an artist. And we have some great... Uh, sculptors here like uh, Carol Griffin. I don't know if it's Carol's here. Carol works in, in stone. She's a sculptor. And uh, my friend Gio, who we got a chance to sh sit with a couple days ago, he works in metal. He's a sculptor. And so you have this picture of God as the sculptor down in the dirty red clay forming uh, the first uh, human. And uh, in fact, the, the word Adama literally means red clay. Red clay. So God as an artist down on his knees. And, and this, again, interesting idea that God makes the, the humankind in his image. Male and female, he makes them in his image. There are, uh, there are two Hebrew words, and I feel like every six months I just have to mention Hebrew words, so it sounds like I did study somewhere something. Um, Selem, which is the Hebrew word for, for a, an image, and then demut, which is likeness. These are the two words used in Genesis chapter 1, uh, describing God making humankind in his image. So there's kind of this physicality, however that works, um, but then there's also this element of likeness, that uh, humankind was made in the likeness of God, not just in physicality, but in, in character. And so both indicate the uniqueness in all of God's creation that humankind exists in, that God made humans in his image and in his likeness. And so this indicates what apparently is supposed to be a special relationship, one that has a family element. Of course, later in the Bible, God talks about himself as a loving parent, uh, sometimes as a, a father, sometimes as a a, a mother who's, who's looking over his, his uh, flock. And so this parental idea, we get this idea of God presenting himself as a family. And creating his humans as, as his uh, children. And I think, um, I mean, at some level we can relate with this idea of God as a, a caring parent. And wanting to create in his uh, image. Because God has given humans the unique opportunity to kind of do this uh, as well. I have a, a picture here. You just bear with me here. Okay, so this is a, like proud dad and, and, and husband. So I got a picture here. And you can see on the, on the left is my wife when she was a, when she was a baby. Isn't she cute? So cute. Oh, so cute. So cute. A little... Little round. Her parents said she had a peanut head. I don't. Uh, peanuts are more oblong, aren't they? But I don't know. Anyway, 
There she is. Now, and on the right is Susanna. That's our little one, one-year-old. Um, and then the dark one that you can hardly see, that's me. We're going to blot that out, apparently. Anyway, so see what happens. So God has given us the, the ability. I mean, it doesn't always work out this way where there's, like, there's some resemblance and our likeness. So we can kind of understand this idea of a proud parent who is perpetuating in uh, likeness their, their uh, children. Um, by the way, I'm, it, as it worked out, Susanna is looking more like Sarah than me. Praise God. I'm just thinking I'm not a great-looking woman. So glad that worked out that way. Anyway, family. So in the image, in the image, there's a physicality and that God wants his humans to be a family. But then there's also the idea of uh, the, the humans being his representatives in the world. He's going to, the, the, the humans are going to rule, they're going to take care of, this is a rule in the best sense of the, all that the world is going to be, the, the fish and the birds and the environment is all to be taken care of by these humans who have a character like God, made in God's image in uh, likeness. And so it's kind of really a, a, a cool picture. And just a kind of a side note here, in Exodus chapter 20, in, uh, in the commandments, when God is like, uh, don't make for yourself a, a, a graven image, an image out of stone or out of wood, and for, and for heaven's sake, don't worship it. This is actually a link to this story in Genesis chapter 1. God is like, hey, I've already made something in my image. It's you, human. Don't go making something else in, in, in uh, the, your image because you you're not going to be able to make something out of rocks or wood that's going to live up to what, what my image is. And for, for goodness sake, please don't worship it. something unique about humankind made in God's image. But you know, if you keep reading the story in Genesis 1, you'll get to Genesis chapter 3. So chapters 1 and 2 are describing the creation story. You read into chapter 3 and you'll recognize pretty quickly that uh, things didn't work out as God had uh, hoped. That uh, the first humans exercised their free will and they chose to distance themselves from God, and then all hell breaks loose, literally. You keep reading in the story, and uh, you'll find that quickly uh, murder ent enters the pic picture, and hatred, and greed, and violence, and war, and deceit, and the rest of the Bible is basically full of all of those uh, elements. People angry with each other, fighting with each other, people dealing with all kinds of uh, issues with each other because of that exercise of free will. And yet we still have this idea of God creating humankind in his image. And uh, yet this image is, is, there's something wrong. And so this makes me think of uh, when I go visit the, the Met right around the corner. Everybody been to the Met? Of course, I mean, if you're from New York, you go to the, the Met, the Metropolitan uh, Museum of Art, established in 1870, first opened in 1872, and it was designed to, quote, bring art and art education to the American people. This message today is sponsored by the Metropolitan Museum of Art, <laughs> making New York City beautiful since 1872. 
Kyle, we're going to work on sponsorships for the sermons from this point forward. So I think that's a, something we can work on. Anyway, it's one of the great art museums in the world. You know that because most of you have been there. If you haven't, then you know, need to go right after the, the message. Just leave, get some, some potluck food. There is meal, a meal being prepared today, right? And then you can go to the, the Met after you enjoy one of our afternoon classes. So it's going to be late. You're going to get there late, but that's okay. Anyway, the Met is just around the corner. Now, because I ha we have a stroller when we go, a gigantic monster stroller. So when we go, we cannot go up the iconic steps into the main uh, door. And, and the, we have to go to the 81st Street exit on the ground floor. And, and you take your stroller in there, and there's kids sneezing, and it's just a mess down there. But that's what you got to do when you have kids. So we go down there. And we, you know, you check your coats in, and then you go, and you, you, you give your donation. And for those guests here today, you know, the Met, it's a donation base. You know, they say it's like $400 to get in, and you just say, I'm going to give $5 today. Thank you very much. And, and you're in. So that's a little, so if you're visiting today, there you go. That's for you. It's worth your while for coming to Avon Hope today. You give your donation, you go in. So we, get, we give our donation, and then we go into... The, um, did we just express how cheap we are, Sarah? Did I do that? <laughs> we do go often. It adds up, I'm sure. Um, anyway, we get in the elevator and then we go upstairs and we go to, through the Jaharis uh, Gallery, which is actually one of my favorite places in the, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. We have a picture, there it is. In fact, that's going toward the elevator, so we're coming the other way. So in there is all of this, these Greek sculptures from the 6th to the 4th century BC, some really, really uh, old stuff. So, again, I love it in there. I love, I love a good Greek statue, if for no other reason than it reminds me that I need to go to the gym. You never see out of shape Greek statues. Have you noticed that? I mean, everybody's got like the 16 pack, and it's just very impressive. So, anyway, I love a good Greek statue. Um, now, I will admit that my favorite Greek statue is actually not here at the Met. It's in Paris at the Louvre. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a whole other ball game over there. So, so this, is my, this is my favorite. This is winged uh, Victoria. Uh, and, and she is the, the goddess Nike, and she is descended on what is supposed to be a, a ship. Nobody knows exactly what battle it's supposed to be representing, but this is a great statue. Anybody seen that in person? Pretty amazing. You need to go see it if you haven't. Now, here's the thing. Did you notice some, about, something about all of these statues? Every single one of them in some way is broken and missing something. I mean, as beautiful as they are, they're always missing something. I mean, this is a beautiful statue, but it's missing the head which I'm no sculptor, but it seems to me like it'd be pretty important. And I would imagine that the sculptor who sculpted this took a lot of time forming the head, but apparently the head is, is missing, which probably means that some, somebody who has a lot of money somewhere has it in their like atrium when you come into their, their mansion in like a glass case, uh, but nobody, you'd never say it, and so there's the head of, of, of winged uh, victory. Anyway, it's supposedly missing. Um, Somebody should start an investigation on that. 
everybody, all of these statues, missing something, arms broken off, heads broken. The artist had their, their original plan, uh, but over the, over the years, things have happened. Arms have gone missing, fingers are missing, portions of the torso. I mean, you see some of the, some of the statues just have the head, the opposite, which makes me think maybe we should work something out with Wing Victory here and just, you know, put one of those extra Caesar heads on Wing, wing Victory. But anyway, missing uh, something. And so this is really reminiscent of our situation, right? Created in the image of God. But as time has progressed, we're missing things. We're broken. We're not what we were intended to be, whether it's the arm or the metaphoric arm or the head or, or, or there's damage. We're broken. We're broken people. Humanity is uh, broken. How are we broken? Well, I, I barely need to, to mention, of course, you know the world is a broken a place. You don't have to look very far in your, in your times. You don't have to search the internet very far to find out about the brokenness of the world, right? Hurting, pain, war, inequality, racism, hatred. I mean, the world is a, a mess. But beyond just the world being a mess, humankind being a, a mess, we're a mess. You're a mess. I'm a mess. You're a mess, right? I'm a Are you a mess? <laughs> hey, listen, there is something beautiful about coming to a community where you can say that you're a mess. So take advantage of that, all right? This is the beauty of the, the church community. You are a mess. I, I'm, gonna, I wouldn't, I'm not, if I was, if it was old school, I would say, say you're a mess. And then you would say, I'm a mess. But we're not going to do that. We're much more sophisticated than that. Supposedly. Anyway, you're a mess, I'm a mess. There's something beautiful about being in a community that we can all admit to our messiness. You know what I'm saying? In your, in your job, you can't do that oftentimes because your job is based on your, on your not being a, a mess. Your job is based on your performance and you have to have it all together. But in the church community, we can admit we are a mess. You are a mess, I'm a mess. I mean, maybe you look like you've got it all together, you feel like you've got a lot of it, but there's something off, there's that, that, that finger or that arm, or for some of us it's the head, it's missing. We're, we're a mess. The world is a mess. Humanity is a mess. So this idea that God created humanity in his image, but, but the, the image is broken. It's not what it was su supposed to be. There's, yes, there's, there's elements of beauty that still exist in every one of us, but there's also something missing. There's brokenness. And so as we we prepare to rehearse the story of Easter, of the, the death, the rest, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's appropriate that we would take time to kind of think about what the implications are of what God did through Jesus then. And so how does Jesus' death and resurrection affect our, our messiness, our brokenness? Well, I would suggest to you that uh, firstly it establishes a really, really important precedent, and that is that uh, God still cares about his creation. You know, a good artist, a good artist who really put a lot of time and effort into their work doesn't, doesn't give up if things don't end up turning out just the, the, the right way. They still care about what their creation is, and this is certainly true for a good parent as God uh, portrays himself. A good parent doesn't give up if the the child doesn't end out exactly as was intended. 
And so we get that picture of, of God. And so in John chapter 3 and verse 16, maybe the most famous uh, portion of all the Bible we read, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't die forever but will live forever. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God has not given up on his creation. I mean, this is the good news of the story of the resurrection of Easter, of Jesus' death, rest, and resurrection. God has not given up on that which he made in his image. That's good news. That's good news for a world that is hurting and broken and in need. And secondly, we learn from the story of and rehearsing the story of the the death and the rest and the resurrection of Jesus, that God is working even now toward the restoration of his creation. He's working to fix that which was uh, broken. Those, those, those statues that, that, that resemble us with their brokenness. God is working toward restoration. He doesn't want things to remain broken. He wants to, to help uh, heal the brokenness. In Ephesians chapter 2, the, the great uh, communicator of this uh, message, Paul, writes to this little church in Ephesus. He says that it's by grace that you've been saved. Through faith. And this isn't from yourself. It's a gift from God, not by your works. You're not going to fix your brokenness. When your arm is broken, you're not fixed. If it's off and you're the statue and it's gone, you're not going to get that arm back. You're not going to fix your head if you're a statue. God has to do something for you that you can't do for yourselves. And when he does it, you are God's handiwork, Paul says. God's this artist, and he's wanting to restore the art to what it was intended to be. You are created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2 says. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are, are God's temple? Again, here's now another uh, art concept of architecture. You're God's uh, temple. And that God's breath, his spirit dwells in your midst. The community of faith is God's, is God's building. It's God's architecture. It's God's art and his, his spirit, his breath. Remember, remember the story of Genesis chapter 1. I mean, that's how God brought things to, to life. He got down on his knees and he was in the red mud and he was doing his artwork and he creates this thing, but it doesn't have life in it, and he breathes his breath into it. And here's this idea of breath again. God's breath dwells in you. You're his, his artwork, his architecture. Then we think of uh, the last book of the Bible. We started the first, one of the last, Revelation chapter 21. This idea that God has not given up on his creation in Revelation chapter 21, we hear the story of what another teacher of the good news tells us, the apostle uh, John. And he describes what is to come when all things are made right in the end. And he says this, I heard a loud voice from God's throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things, the broken order of things is, is passed away. 
he who is seated on the throne, says, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. This is the, 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 the cry of God's heart in Revelation chapter 21 as the story is wrapping up. It's rooted in the idea that God is going to make all things new. That In the beginning, he created in his image humanity. But humanity has been broken. We're missing our arms and our head and important things about who we are that just aren't there and that we can't fix ourselves and we try maybe our entire life trying to get ourselves together but we keep ending up back in some sort of mess we get a little step forward and then we go back two steps god though is working toward our restoration he's not given up on his art project on his creation on his children he cares So this leads us with our last question. Well, how, how do we get on board with this as, as humans? If, 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 if God still cares about his creation and he's working even now, not just at some point in the future, he's working even now to heal some of the brokenness, how do, how do we get on board with this work? When Jesus started preaching, when he started doing his his teaching, he came with a really, really simple answer to that very question. How do you get on board with what God is doing in the world? It's written in a number of places, but maybe most prominently and right off the bat in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I mean, these are the words of Jesus himself. Hey, how do you get on board with what God is doing? Okay, he hasn't given up on his creation. Humankind is broken. It's a mess. The world is a mess. You're a mess. How do we get on board with what God is doing if it, indeed he still cares about his creation and he's working to bring restoration and healing to the brokenness that exists in this world and in you and me? How do we get on board with that? Repent and be baptized. I mean, this repent idea... We, we, we jokingly almost did it, but look, repent starts with this acknowledgement that you are broken. I am broken. You know, my favorite analogy for repentance is, is a New York one. You're in the subway. You've heard this a thousand times before, but just bear with me. You're in the, in the subway, and you go to a new stop that you haven't been to, be, to before. You've done this. Maybe you're out in, you're out in, you're out in the heart of a borough you've never been to, been to recently, and you get out, and you're trying to go to a specific a destination, you get out, and you just, you want to look like you know exactly where you're going, so you walk out of, like, bold out of that subway. I know where I'm going. I'm a New Yorker, and you just walk, and then, like, two blocks, because you want to get as far away from the subway as possible, so you don't, you know, look like you, you're a tourist. You're like, I'm going to get out my phone. I'm going to call somebody, but what you're really doing is looking at Google Maps, Got an important call. And then you realize that on Google Maps, you are two blocks in the wrong direction. Have you ever done this? Two blocks, and what do you do? You're like, hmm, let's, let's wait till everybody who was in the same subway train as I was has gone away from me. And then you make your turn back, and you go in the right direction. You guys with me here? Has this ever happened to you? This is repentance. Acknowledge that you are heading in the wrong direction. I am broken. 
the way I am right now, this is, this is not working for me. I feel one step forward, two steps back. I keep trying to, to put my metaphoric arm back on, but I can't even, fu- my head is lost. It's in somebody's cabinet somewhere in their mansion. I need my head back, and I'm not going to get it on my own. So acknowledge you're headed in the wrong direction. We've got a lot of metaphors going on here. I hope you're with me here. We've got subways. We've got Metropolitan Museum. We've got the statues. Are you guys still with me here? Okay. Acknowledge. Things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. I am broken. You are broken. That's the, the first part. Jesus like, repent. Recognize where you are. And then believe that God can do what you cannot do. You've been trying to fix yourself on your own. And one step forward, two steps back. God can do what you can't do. Believe. How do, you, how, do you, how do you inspire belief? Well, look, there's no doubt there's some mystery to that. But Jesus even alludes to, to this element. John 12, verse 32. This is before he, he's, he's, his death. He prophesies. He tells what's to come. He says, when I am lifted up, all people will be drawn to myself. He's saying, look, look, what is compelling is the sacrifice that I'm going to make. The fact that I'm going to die, that's com- compelling. 10% left. We're down to 10%. How do 7%? Do we have enough to land? It's going to almost over. Yeah. No, no, I think we're good. Thank you, Kyle. Kyle's going to charge my iPad. I think we're good. Believe. Jesus said, hey, hey, contemplate. Contemplate what I've, I've, I've done on your behalf. It's, it's compelling. Now, there's an old friend of ours. If you've been around the Adventist church, you've heard of this old, she's so old. People call her a little old. I don't know if she was little or not. Was she little? Does anyone know? She might have been 6'2", for all I know. There's this little, this little old lady. Her name is Ellen White. She said a lot of things. But there's one really intriguing thing she says about this issue of, of, of belief. I'm going to paraphrase this. She's like, hey. It'd be a great idea to spend some time each day just thinking about Jesus' life. But specifically, the last hours of his life. And just rolling that over. What she was getting at is the very thing Jesus says himself. There's something compelling about God working on your behalf. And when you're, you're thoughtful, when you're mindful about what God has done in your experience, that can open up all kinds of new things in your, in your experience. I mean, you know... When someone does something extraordinary for you, how does that make you feel? You may start rethinking your relationship with that person. You might have a new perspective on humanity as a whole. When somebody does something that is, is, is of service to you or gives you a, a gift that you weren't anticipating, you can change your whole perspective. And Jesus is like, hey, this is how it works. God has come and he's going to do something for you that you aren't able to do for yourself. And that as we... We, we, we were mindful to that. It's compelling. Spend some time allowing that to seep in. There's a God who, who cares. In the beginning, he made things, and he made them right. And they were made in his image, and he's, he cares about his creation. Like an artist cares about their art or, or, or a a, a, a father or a mother cares about their child. 
God loves the world. God's been working on behalf of the world, but not just the world, on behalf of you. And God wants to do something in your experience that you can't do for yourselves, and you're broken. You're broken. Admit your brokenness. And then let God, as we even this season contemplate his death, his rest, and his resurrection, do in you what only he can do. Heal your brokenness. Bring restoration and make you into something new. Let's pray. Oh God, we acknowledge uh, today our brokenness. And we're so thankful for a community in which we can do that. We're thankful for your willingness to hear of our needs and to not uh, shun us and not to be angry with us, but that you love us. I pray in a particular way for those here today who are very aware of, of areas in their experience in which they are broken and have been experiencing pain or loneliness or fear or apprehension. And I pray that you'll bring a peace to them. And for all of us, I pray that you'll give us hope that in you, you can do for us what we can't do for ourselves and that you can recreate us as a people and as individuals, again, in your image. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.